Well, good morning, Sugar Creek. It is such a joy to worship with you guys. My name is Ender Palencia, and I have the privilege of serving as the missions pastor here at Sugar Creek. And on behalf of our lead pastor, Dr. Mark Hartman, I want to welcome you to the service one more time. If you're watching online or if you are at our Missouri City, Richmond, Rosenberg, or Sugarland campus, we, we're delighted that you decided to worship with us today. And we are glad that you allow us to be a part of what God is doing in your life and through your life as well. You know, a year ago, exactly a year ago this past week, my wife and I went on a 24-hour fasting retreat because we had a pretty important decision to make. Uh, we, we took that decision very seriously, so we found somebody to uh, watch our kids for those 24 hours. We uh, got our Bibles, turned off our phones and our computers, everything, and we went to a place just to pray and seek the Lord. And the reason why we did that is because we had been in conversations with Pastor Mark and the leadership of this church about the possibility of me coming here to be the missions pastor. And so uh, we went on this fasting retreat and we prayed, we asked God, is this what you want us to do? Do you want us to uproot our family and move to Houston so that we can do that? And after the 24 hour, uh, the Lord made it evident to both my wife and I that this is what he wanted us to do. That we needed to pack our staff, gather our kids and make our way to uh, this area and be a part of what God is doing right here at Sugar Creek. And I gotta tell you, it's been a blessing. We didn't start until a couple of months after that, but this 10 months of us being here has been a huge blessing. We can't thank you enough for how you have welcomed us and loved us and made us feel like a part of the family. We are blessed to be here. And one of the reasons that made it so clear to us that this is the place where we needed to be is our purpose statement, the purpose statement that we have as a church. We, we have this purpose statement. If you're new to our church, I want you to know we, we say it at the end of every service and we are going to say it now. It doesn't mean this is the end. I worked too hard on this sermon not to preach it. But we are gonna say it together, whether you're watching online or at any of our campuses, we, we're gonna say it right now, okay? Our purpose is to love and lead all people to life change in Christ. That is who we are as a church. And the reason why that statement was so crucial in us making the decision of moving here is because it is in line with whom I believe God called me and my family to be. It is in line with what I believe is my mission on this earth. And honestly, I believe it's in line with what should be the mission of every believer on this earth. In fact, it is in line with what Jesus said was the most important command and the most important commission, the great commission that he gave us. And that's what we are going to be looking at today, that text that is known as the Great Commission. We have been on a sermon series called Our Rescue, and through this series we're learning how God is set out to save humanity so that we could have a relationship with him. And in the first sermon we learned that he created a perfect world and gave us the opportunity to have a perfect relationship with him and his creation. Well, we chose to use the will, the free will that he had given us to obey or pursue our desires and our instincts instead of trusting him. And because of that, sin entered the world. And because sin entered the world, there came pain and suffering and death. And then we couldn't have that perfect relationship with him anymore. 
But in the second sermon, we learned that God had a rescue plan in mind and he sent his precious son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life and then to die a horrible death on a cross to pay for our sins. And he rose him from the dead, proving that if we place our faith in him, we can be forgiven and now we can have a relationship with him again. A relationship that starts now on this earth but will last for eternity. And then on the third sermon, last week, we, we learned that, uh, that God wants us to experience a better life here on this earth and how we, when we walk with him, we can experience that better life. And today we're gonna wrap up this series. We're gonna end understanding that our rescue comes with a mission. That when God rescues us, he immediately invites us to be a part of his rescue plan. He gives us the privilege to join him in the plan that he set out to rescue humanity. And that's the great commission that we have. And that great commission is found in Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 16. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to go there. We're gonna read it in a moment. But before I read it, I wanna give you a little bit of context to that particular text so that we understand it better. There are 12 men who had given their lives to, to follow Jesus, to, to chase this rabbi and to learn from him. And they had seen him do incredible miracles firsthand. They had also sat under his life-changing teaching and they had been transformed by him and they were inspired by him. And they lived three years of their lives just following him and working with him. And then unexpectedly for many of them, one of those 12, decided to betray him and sell him to the, the men that wanted to kill him. And in a matter of just a few days, the other 11 and many other people saw this Jesus be arrested, then be crucified, and then actually raised from the dead, come back to life, and he was with them for about 40 days or so. And in and, and those 40 days, he taught them how to prepare for, for life and, and what to be about. And the passage that we're gonna look at today is what happened at the end of those 40 days when Jesus gathered them one more time and as he ascended into heaven and for them not to see him anymore uh, in that lifetime, then he gave them these instructions. And I believe it's the commission that he gave them that gave them purpose, but it's also the commission that he gave every one of us who are followers of Jesus Christ and that should be our purpose as well. So let me read that text to you with that context in mind. It says this. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. As a pastor, I often have uh, contact with people who are wondering what their purpose is in life. They, they wanna know why they're here on this earth, what their mission is, and not just in life in general, but many times in a specific place in life. Why they are in the job that they're in, or why they're in the school that they're in, or why they have the family that they have. They, they want to understand what that purpose is. And I believe this text answered all of those questions about our existence and about our purpose. 
I mean, all you have to do is consider the context so that you understand the importance of what Jesus is saying here. After three years of being there with them, after dying and resurrecting from the dead and being with them for another 40 days, this is the last thing that he said to his followers. This is the last instructions that he gave them. So we should know, we should consider that this is an important deal. And I believe that through this, he gives them a purpose, a reason to live for. And when you, you keep reading in scriptures, you see that that's what they live for. And God did amazing things through these ordinary men. And again, I believe that is our mission as well. It's our purpose as well. That's why I wanna tell you three main things about this text that we find here that I believe should determine how we pursue our mission, how we go about this life on this earth. First thing that I want you to know is that our mission comes from the highest source of authority. Our mission comes from the highest source of authority. I want you to read 18 with me again. It says this, and Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So uh, Jesus gathered the disciples and the 11 are there, probably other people are there. And as he's ascending into heaven, he begins to give them instructions. And the first thing that he says, hey, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Now, at first glance, if you just read that, you probably think that Jesus is being a little braggadocious here and just kind of saying, hey, I'm the boss and whatever I tell you to do, that's what you have to do. And while Jesus is boss and whatever he tells us to do, we should do, I don't think that's what Jesus intended to communicate here. In fact, I think in all humility, Jesus is saying, hey, all you have to do is look at what just happened and know that you can live for what I'm about to tell you to live for. What he's trying to tell us is that we are on the side of victory already, that he's already defeated sin, defeated death, and therefore if we live for what he's telling us to live for, then our life is going to have purpose. He's saying, I have been given all authority. He didn't say, I have all authority. He says, I have been given all authority. And the reason why he was given all authority in heaven and on earth and even under the earth is because of the role that he played in our rescue. It's because of the role that he played in God's plan to rescue humanity. A couple of weeks ago, we understood that plan is significantly better than probably we ever had before, how God made himself human being in the person of Jesus Christ. And, and as a human, Jesus lived the perfect life that none of us could live. And then he died on a cross to pay for the penalty of our sins. And there was this exchange that took place. That, that in, in that cross, he took on all of our sins, the consequences, the payment, the penalty for all of our mistakes, he took on them. And then if we place our faith in him and that sacrifice, then we receive the reward for the perfect life that he lived. Something that we don't deserve. And we also learned that God raised him from the dead to prove that that is the only way to have access to God. That Jesus is the one that God set out to be our rescue. That he defeated sin and he defeated death and therefore we can trust him. And Jesus was given all authority because of the role that he played in our rescue. Because of his obedience, what he did on that cross and what that sacrifice accomplished. Paul said this to the Philippians. I want you to read in Philippians chapter two, verses five through 11 with me. It says this, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. 
And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So he's saying, hey, be like Jesus who was humble and obedient even to the point of death, death on a cross. Even though he was God, he set that aside and died on a cross. And then there is a therefore there that connects what Paul just said with what he's about to say. Listen to what the result of that is. It's this, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So you can see that Paul explains to us here that Jesus was given that level of authority because of the role that he played on our rescue. Because he was willing to die on a cross and because he resurrected from the dead, defeating sin, defeating death, then now he has all authority. That means that we are on the side of victory. And what Jesus is trying to say when he says, all authority has been given to me, is he's saying that because he has power over sin and death, because he defeated sin and death, then now we can join him in his mission to rescue others from the consequences of sin and death. What he's trying to say is that we can live for something greater. We have something to look forward to. I believe part of the reason why people can't find their purpose and their meaning and their mission in life is because they're looking for it in earthly things, in a career, in a bigger house, in a newer car, in a newer technology, in a nice family. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't have those things. Please don't mishear me. Those are blessings that come from God. But if you're looking for your purpose in that, you're never going to be satisfied because you were made to live for something greater for something that will last for eternity. And in this text, Jesus tells us right here, we can give our lives to something greater. I've already defeated sin, I've already defeated death, now you can live for this. And in the next few verses, he tells us what that is that we can live for. He tells us what our mission is. And that's the second thing that I wanna point out to you, that our mission is to make disciples of all nations. That's what he said in verses 19 and the first portion of 20, he, he said this words. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. This is where our purpose is found. This is where our mission is found. Now I have to get a little technical right here in the language if you, if you let me, but uh, there are four verbs here in this text that are key verbs for us to understand our purpose and our mission. And of those four verbs, there is one that is an imperative. And what that means is there is one that is the overarching command here. And then the other three verbs are what are called participles. And what participles are, are ongoing actions that in this case support the imperative. In other words, there is one command and one commission that we have been given, one imperative, and then the other three verbs that we find here are the way how we fulfill that commission. And contrary to popular belief, the imperative verb, the the commission, is not go. Go is an important verb, and I'm gonna get to it in a moment. But the imperative, the commission, the command that we're given here, the overarching command, is make disciples. That's what we are called to do. That's what our mission is on this life, is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, as I say that, I'm sure there's somebody wondering, okay, and what in the world is that disciple? That's a great question, thank you for asking it. I will answer for you. 
A disciple is a learner. It's somebody who decides to follow somebody and imitate their, their way of living. Listen to what they teach and imitate or follow their instruction. And so in this case, a disciple is someone who learns from Jesus to live like Jesus. And we are called to be disciples of Jesus Christ. In other words, to live, learn from Jesus, to be like Jesus, and we are called to make disciples of Jesus Christ. In other words, to teach others to learn from Jesus and to live like Jesus. That is the commission. That is our mission. That is what we are called to do. And that's where we find our purpose in life. That's why the mission or the purpose statement of our church is so key, is so important to our church, but also was so influential in us making this decision. Because it says to love and lead all people to life change in Christ because it's only in Christ that we can experience life change. And I want you to know that those words didn't come just because one day Pastor Mark woke up and said, well, that sounds cute. Let's put it in our vision statement. Pastor Mark is a man of prayer and he loves scriptures. And that's how you make disciples. That's how we live for what we are created to live to love and lead others to life-changing Christ. When Jesus was asked, what is the most important command? He replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. But he was talking to a bunch of religious leaders who thought that they were doing that well. So he immediately followed that with, but there is a second one like it. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. Because it's only through love that you can point people to God because God is love. In fact, later on in his life, Jesus said, this is how you will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So for us, to make disciples means to love all people. And true love should compel us to lead them to see the life change that they can experience in Jesus Christ. If we truly love somebody, then that love is going to compel us to see what they can experience in Christ. We cannot say that we love somebody and withhold what Christ can do for them from them. True love should compel us to lead them to see what Christ can do for them. So we make disciples by loving people and pointing them to Christ. And you say, okay, and who who should we make disciples of? Well, I think the text answered that question for us. Jesus says, make disciples of all nations. When you read scripture, from beginning to end, you're gonna see that God has a heart for the nations. From beginning to end, from the book of Genesis, God tell Abraham, you're gonna be a blessing to all nations. To the book of Revelation, you see that people from all tribes and tongues, and they're all worshiping God. That is the heart of God. God wants to redeem people from all nations. And what that means is that God created all human beings in his likeness and in his image. And he loves them all the same. And he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for humanity, regardless of what color their, back, their skin is, regardless of what background they have, regardless of what language they speak, regardless of what level education they have, he, Jesus, died so that they could have an opportunity to be forgiven of their sins and have a relationship with God. God loves all humanity. That's why John 3.16 says what it says. It says, for God so loved the world, the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That is the gospel right there. See, the gospel is the great equalizer because the gospel says that we're all created in the image of God. But the gospel also said that unfortunately all of us have sinned. Regardless of who we are, what our background is, all of us, have sinned and our sin separates us from God. 
But see, the gospel is the only thing, more than any other social movement you can think of, the gospel is the only thing that includes us and makes us all equal. Because the gospel also says that regardless of who you are, whoever believes in Jesus can be forgiven of their sin, enter into the family of God, be called a child of God and have a relationship with God that will last for eternity. And before God, we're all the same. God has a heart for all people, all backgrounds, all colors of skins, all socioeconomic levels, that is who God is. And so we are called to make disciples of all people. Now, the next question would be, okay, and then how do we do that? How do we make disciples? Well, I think the text answers the questions for us as well. And, and the question is answered through the three participles that I told you about. So the overarching command or commission is to make disciples. And the other three verbs that we find there, the three participles, are how we make disciples. And the three participles are go, baptize, and teach. So first, we make disciples by going to all people. This means that we have to live with intentionality. This means that we identify places where the gospel has not been preached, where people are living in darkness, where they're not experiencing the love of God in our city and in other parts of the world, and we intentionally go to these places. That's why we have partnerships with local partners here in our city, and that's why we have just had a team who came back from the most remote part of the Himalaya mountains, and we have everything in between that we can do right now because we are called to go. But see, I told you that this is a participle. So it's not just going at one event. But because it's a participle, we know that it's also as we go, as we go about life, as we live life, we understand that our purpose is to make disciples. So that means that we understand that we are in the workplace that we are, we are in the neighborhood that we are, that we are in the school that we are, that we are in the team that we are for a reason for that purpose. That means that we understand that God has put people around us in those relationships so that we can be a light to them, so that we can be the means by which they hear about the gospel. All of us have coworkers, all of us have family members, all of us have neighbors, all of us have, uh, uh, some of us have school friends, we have teammates, we have uh, bank tellers, we have barbers, we have hairdressers, we have cashiers at the grocery store, people that we encounter with day by day. And I believe that we living with a purpose means that we understand that God wants to use us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. That as we go about our day, we can do things to help build a relationship with them so that they can see the love of Jesus through us and they can hear about Jesus from us one day. That is what going means. As we go about life, we live with intentionality. That's how Jesus lived his life. Been reading through the Gospels, one chapter a day for my quiet time, and you see this pattern in Jesus' life. I'm just gonna read one verse, but you see this repeating his life. In, nine, in Matthew 9:35, it says this, and Jesus went, as he went, throughout all the villages and cities, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. So you see that Jesus lived his life this way. He went, and as he went, he was teaching, he was loving on people, he was uh, healing people, he was doing what he could so that people could experience the love of God. And if we are the disciples of Jesus, then we are to learn from Jesus, to live like Jesus. 
And while we probably don't go from village to village and synagogue to synagogue, we do life where we do life. And those are all opportunities so that people can experience the love of God through us. So we make disciples by going. There is a second participle, and it's baptizing. So we also make disciples by baptizing those who believe in Christ. Now, we know according to scripture that baptism is a way that a person shows publicly that they have believed in Jesus Christ. It's kind of like the symbolism that that shows that they are now a part of the family of God. And in many cases that they're a part of a community of believers like a local church, like our church. Through baptism, a person shows what has happened in their heart. But baptism doesn't save a person. Faith in Christ saves a person. Paul said to the Romans in Romans uh, 10, 17, he says this, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So in between the going and the baptism, they must have heard about Jesus because we tell them about Jesus. And once they believe in Jesus, then the next step is to baptize them, showing that they are a part of the family of God. That's why it says we baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because that is God. As we learned a month ago, God is a triune God. He's a trinity. And the only way to experience God is through this trinity and the plan of rescue that he set out through the son, Jesus Christ. So when we baptize a person in the trinity, we're say, or they're saying they believe in this triune God and his plan for salvation. So we live by going going intentionally to places where the gospel is needed and as we do life as well. And when people believe, and not everybody will, but those that believe, then we encourage them to take the next step, be baptized so that they show that they are believers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But there is a third participle that we have to consider. And it is teaching. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. That word observe can also be translated as obey. That means that we make disciples by teaching them to obey what Christ commanded. I wanna remind you that we are called to make disciples. We're not called to make converts. What I mean by that is that our job doesn't stop at telling somebody about Jesus and that's it. Sometimes when you are in another part of the world or it's a person that you only see once, that's okay, that's, that's, that's your job right there. But God has also placed people around you that you can help grow in their faith. You can teach them to observe what Jesus has commanded. And that means that you live life with them. Part of my calling is to be a dad to three precious children. And to be a dad, then I have to help them become who God created them to become. And part of that includes instruction, teaching them certain things, including the word of God, but also living life with them. It's not enough for me to sit them once a week for an hour and say, this is how you live life and this is how you become the person that God wants you to be, then go for it and, and, and be done. I have to live life with them. I have to watch them. I have to see them make mistakes and in love correct them. And when I make mistakes, I have to be humble enough and say, hey, daddy made a mistake, I'm sorry. This is not what God has for me, but we're all in this journey together. And as I do life with my children, then eventually, hopefully, they will one day become who God created them to become. And in the same way, that's how we make disciples. We live life with them. We make time to have people over for dinner. We take lunch breaks intentionally with people so that we can help them grow in their faith. 
We, 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 we go to lunch with our coworkers, with our friends, and, and we just uh, uh, open scriptures and teach them as much as we can, as much as they allow us to. And that's how a person becomes who God created them to become. God wants to use us for that. This is how Jesus made his disciples. That's how he lived life with three, the, for three years with these 12 men. That's how Paul made disciples as well. We just see what Paul said to one of his disciples, a young man named Timothy. He, he says this to Timothy in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. He says this, You then, my child, being strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. In other words, you make sure that you're feeding yourself with the word of God. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So you see that there's this generational thing that happens in discipleship, that what Paul taught Timothy, Timothy was to teach others that would teach others that would teach others that would teach others, and that is how God wants to rescue humanity. That is how God wants to build his kingdom. That is how we love and lead people to life change in Jesus Christ. That is what our purpose is. Now, I know that when I say that, many of you, and there, you go, I'm, I'm not qualified for that, and you went to seminary and all that, but I didn't, and, and you're a pastor, that's for pastors, you immediately think that way, but I want you to know that that's, that that's trusting in your own abilities, that's trusting in your own efforts, and that's not what God wants us to do. He wants us to learn how to depend on him and trust in him and in his power. This man that, God, that Jesus disciple were ordinary men and women. They were fishermen and tax collectors. They were not professional clergymen. They, they were just ordinary men and women and God used them in a mighty way. And the reason why God used them in a mighty way is because the Holy Spirit of God was in them. And therefore the power of God was in them. And that leads me to the third thing about our mission, that our mission is powered by God himself. I love how Matthew ends the, the, the gospel, the book that he wrote. Because that last few words says, Jesus ascended into heaven says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. See, Jesus, I mean, Matthew started the, the book that he wrote, this gospel that we're reading right now. He started by telling us about the birth of Jesus. And in the story of the birth of Jesus, he says this statement. He says, he is Emmanuel, which means he is God with us. So he, he's about to tell us the story that God was with us right here on this earth. And when he ends the gospel, he, sa- he ends with Jesus' own words saying, and I'm going to be with you always to the ends of the age. He started the Great Commission saying, hey, I have been given all authority. And he ends the Great Commission with saying, I am with you always. In other words, you have my power. You don't have to do this alone. I am with you. And when you read the book of Acts, you read that he ascended into heaven and after that, he sent the Holy Spirit to his disciples. And when they they received the Holy Spirit, that's when they were able to do incredible things for the kingdom of God. They revolutionized completely their city, their nation, and the world with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. These ordinary men, because they had the power of God in them. And the Bible teaches that you and I, you have the same power that they had. The, the same spirit of God that rose Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that was with the disciples in the book of Acts and it is the same spirit that is in us. When we believe the gospel will sealed with the Holy Spirit and therefore we have the power of God. So when we believe in Christ, we receive the spirit of God and therefore the power of God to live life and to fulfill our mission. 
We have everything that we need. It's a matter of faith. It's a matter of us recalibrating, understanding what our purpose is, and relying on him to do the work through us. It's a matter of learning how to be dependent, fully dependent on him. And I believe that when we live this way, lives can be transformed. I believe that when we live this way, incredible things happen. I told you earlier that one of the reasons why God made it clear to us that this is where we needed to be was the purpose statement. There's another reason, and the other reason is you. Because before we made this decision, we came to this church and we worship at a couple of our campuses and we walked the, the hallways on a Sunday morning and we saw the incredible things that God is doing in this church. We saw the diversity, we saw the different ethnicities, we saw the different attires, we heard the languages, we heard the accents and we felt like this is something incredible that God is doing in this church and we said we want to be a part of what God is doing. And I want you to know that God has used this incredible church for the last 40 years, and I believe he wants to use this incredible church for the next 20 or 40 years. I believe God wants to do incredible things through this church, and he wants you to be a part of what he wants to do. He wants to use you in a mighty way. Listen, this fiscal year that just ended, this church, we had 270 baptism alone, just one year. That is worthy of praising the Lord and celebrating. There are churches that dream of that. That's what God is doing in our church. And I believe that's just the beginning of what God wants to do in the next few years. I want you to dream with me for a moment. Because here's the deal. We have pretty much every neighborhood in Fort Bend County represented in our church. We have every school in our school district represented in our church. We have a lot of workplaces right here represented in our church. Dream with me for a moment. Imagine what would happen if our church, if people in our church decided to live for our purpose, to love and lead all people to life-changing Christ. If they look at their neighborhood, if they look at their school, if they look at their team, if they look at their workplaces, at their mission field, and they say, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm gonna trust God, and I'm just gonna love people. I'm gonna just show them the love of Jesus in tangible ways, and when the opportunity comes, I'm gonna trust the Holy Spirit to speak through me, and I'm gonna share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. What would happen if our people would invite people over for dinner and for lunch and for coffee and just sit down with people and do life with them and share the love of Jesus with them? I believe that this city and this, uh, uh, the entire community can be transformed with the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's just the beginning. Listen, we are a church of the nations. There are over 90 countries represented in our church. What would happen if our people said, you know what, once a year, I'm gonna take a group of my friends and I'm gonna go back to my home country and I'm gonna take them and I'm gonna share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the people where I come from. What would happen if our people decided to live for this purpose? I believe God will and he wants to do incredible things for the kingdom of God. He's inviting us to be a part of that. The question is, are we gonna live for something that will last for eternity? or are we gonna to continue to find purpose in things that don't last? Listen, there will always be a bigger house. There will always be a newer car. There will always be a newer technology. But the kingdom of God will last forever. Jesus is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And you and I can be a part of that.
And you say, and well, I don't even know where to start, man. Well, I want to give you a few tangible steps so that you know where to start. There are some of you who need to start in the right place. You cannot give what you do not have. And what I mean by that is that before you can make disciples, maybe you need to become a disciple. Maybe you've been around the things of God. You've been to church a couple of times. Maybe this is your first time. You're watching us for the first time. And today you heard that Jesus gave his life for you. That's where it starts. And you surrender your life now for him. Because he died for you, you live for him. And it starts with you trusting him as your savior. And maybe some of you need to take that step. If that's you, then we want to help you. If you're watching online, you can talk to our chat host and we will gladly help you take that step. If you are at any of our campuses, we have a room called the Next Step Center. After the service, you can go and talk to one of our leaders and we'll gladly help you with that step. But I know there are some of you who've probably been a believer for a while and you go, okay, and I've already done that. I need to grow. I need to be, learn more from Jesus to be like Jesus. Well, we want to help you. We want to equip you. We want to mobilize you and give you the tools. We don't just say, here is the mission. Go do it. We want to do what we can to help you out. That's why this coming Sunday, we're going to start a sermon series that will help you learn from Jesus. It's going to be called Encountering God. And for five weeks, Pastor Mark and, and some of the teaching team will walk you through some things that you can do to become more like Jesus. So I encourage you to make it a priority to be a part of that sermon series. But also know this, you need to start praying for people around you who don't know Jesus. So as you grow and as you get to know Jesus, you, God also can begin to work in their lives. Last year, Pastor Mark did a sermon series called Who's Your One? And the idea is that you have at least one person in your mind, a neighbor, a coworker, a friend that you are praying for constantly so that God can use you in their lives. So I ask you, as you take next steps, who is your one? Begin to pray for at least one person so that God can move in their life and that God can use you in their lives as well. And there's a third thing that I wanna encourage you to consider. On November 6th, we're gonna have a, an event called Empower. It's a missions experience, it used to be called Missions Banquet. It's going to be a, a big event where we, we can hear more about this vision, what God has called us to do, but also where you will have an opportunity to talk to our partners locally and internationally to see how God is moving in and through our church and also how you can be a part of what God is doing. And it'll be right here at the Sugarland campus on November 6th at five o'clock. We'll have activities for children. It's a family-friendly event. We'll have a great meal, food from all over the world. It will not be a sit-down meal, but rather be more interactive. You will have a chance to do activities with your kids if you have kids or talk to the partners if you're an adult and just hear about what God is doing and how you can be involved. So I encourage you to go and be part of that. You can register by going to the website that is there on your sermon notes. It's on the screen. But if you don't like technology, we have tables out in every campus ready for you to sign up. So no excuses. Love to see you there and love to see how you, God can use you to be a part of what he is doing. So I think all of us can take at least one step. Our purpose is clear. Our mission is clear. It is to make disciples of all nations. It is to love and lead all people to life change in Christ. The question is how are we going to be obedient to that. Let me pray for us. God, we love you. We're so thankful that you send your precious son, Jesus, to die on a cross and to give us eternal life. You send him to be our rescue. And God, we thank you that you also invite us to be a part of that rescue, that you've given us talents and abilities so that other people can also experience the love of God through us. 
I pray that you continue to use Sugar Creek for this purpose and that we can look back a few years from now and say, look at what God has done and give you all the glory and all the honor. I pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.